U.S. Abrams are now in Ukraine. It seems that Ukrainians are so excited about this. Are they going to change anything on the battlefield? Are these tanks different from those ones that came from Germany and the U.K.? No, they're not going to change anything whatsoever. They will burn as well as uh, German Leopards. Uh, officially, German Leopard was considered the best tank, uh, at least in the world. That's how they claimed it. It cannot withstand Cornet. Neither can any version of the Abrams. But they were sending uh, actually kind of older version. So, yeah, it's going to burn as well as Leopards or Swedish uh, modifications of Leopards. So makes no difference whatsoever. They send what? Tank battalion, 31 tanks. Couple of weeks of work, and they probably will be hiding them in somewhere. So, but it doesn't matter. If you remember during this counteroffensive, the German media, the U.S. media, were criticizing Ukrainians for their strategy in this war, in this counteroffensive. They were talking about the Ukrainians are dividing these brigades in tiny groups. These are not based on the NATO tactics. Now it's appearing that they're talking about that Ukrainians were right to, to use those tactics to divide these brigades in tiny groups. Well, it's very simple because of the incompetence of the not NATO militaries. They, their field manuals, all of them, are written by people who never encountered more than the counterinsurgency type warfare. For example, Mr. Petraeus wrote field manuals on counterinsurgents or insurgency. So no NATO officer or soldier or U.S. Army officer or soldier ever faced real combined arms warfare and especially combined arms warfare by the peer or better than peer enemy which is Russia. And that is why initially they thought, oh yeah, let us concentrate those forces, you know, let us attack Russians and concentrate. Well, yeah, traditionally it is considered that, yeah, concentration of force is the best way to go. The problem, of course, we're living in the 21st century and there are basically a fundamental issue, fundamental truth of any modern warfare is if I see you, I'll kill you. And I spoke about it many times. Russians have excellent ISR, intelligence, uh, surveillance, and reconnaissance. And uh, Russia is the second, uh, actually, uh, nation after the United States, uh, United States being the first one uh, in terms of the uh, quantity of the satellites. But Russians are second after that in terms of the battlefield surveillance, both on the space base assets and of course i spoke about this many times even on the level of battalion commander battalion commander battalion isr or uh, uh, you know intelligence complex battalion level they see into depth of up to 30 kilometers so you have to start uh, if you want to uh, attack uh, somehow get into those columns, you know, armor columns, because you need to uh, basically deploy your uh, whatever, the armor brigade, armor battalion, or what have you, let alone we're talking about armor division. You need to build another columns to attack. How do you do this when even before you begin to the deployment into the columns from the uh, traveling column, which is a single column, you need to kind of spread into this, you know, uh, formation, uh, it's, um, you know, you are killed on March. You are marching and you're already being, you know, assaulted by all kinds of the weapons. Then you get into the range of Russian artillery and it's over. Simple as that. 
And those people in NATO, they had no clue about it. Do you think that the strategies that Ukrainians were using in this counteroffensive, especially in this war, were dictated by NATO? How much they were using those tactics? Do we know about that? Yeah, I mean, don't forget, since 2015, actually, the uh, Ukrainian armed forces uh, have been uh, uh, engaged in, very seriously on, on you know, uh, uh, with their NATO training which is U.S. training, where, of course, great, you know, land power of the United Kingdom. <laughs> so, and yeah, as the result, they have been subjected to all this, as they call advanced training, which completely discounted the possibility that somebody will shoot back. The whole NATO doctrine, uh, fighting doctrine, all those field manuals are built around that we go in with the overwhelming uh, firepower, you know, those long-range fires, and voila. The problem, of course, they don't didn't anticipate, which is which tells you everything you need to know about the lack of competence, is the fact that somebody will start shooting back and somebody have even better firepower. That has never been reflected in any kind of training. And then, of course, when they got into the scale of this uh, special military operation, well, guess what? Ukrainians have been cooked. And now they say, yet your training is garbage. You know, we're going back to our Soviet training and things of this nature. Well, they have to, because obviously uh, now that you have third iteration of the armed forces of Ukraine, it's not even the real army anymore. It's more like, you know, those uh, peasants with their guns or partisan units pretty much, you know. And again, uh, to train the real uh, serious force it takes actually many, many months, if not years, to really make it a coherent uh, combat formation, combat unit. So they don't have this time anymore. They grab all people from the streets now, up to 70 years old. Now they, yeah, they introduced even their, you know, full metal jacket for, uh, you know, pregnant women. So there you go. When you hear General Mike Milley says that it's going to be a long war, it's going to take many years. Are they seeking some sort of military objectives in Ukraine or they're talking just the politics, just to continue this war, just bleeding Russians? What's the objective? Objective, so we need to understand clearly, and um, I'm not uh, basically disclosing here any type of the secret. Uh, They do not do strategy in Pentagon or White House. They don't know how to do it. Their strategies are always apolitical as I already stated, and uh, the politics in the United States and in the Western world always overrules the uh, uh, military competence. Mark Mealy, he had sleep of the tongue. He has those Freudian sleeps when he basically, at some point of time, was telling the truth, you know, for a very short time. But at this stage, there's no strategy. The only strategy is to try to hurt Russia. And the more they try to do that, the worst day off, they become off. And uh, when you look at this, it's complete catastrophe. Everything is just disintegrated. They never had strategy. Their strategy was simple indeed to use the, to use Ukraine as the ram against Russia to catch Russians at the <clears throat> off the balance and maybe even defeat them and return those lands, you know, uh, from the uh, Donetsk and Lugansk republics and maybe even try for Crimea. 
those people have been delirious. They are incompetent. That, that's the shocking discovery, this litmus test, which paraded Western military political brass on top as utterly incompetent people. And they are primarily <laughs> incompetent in military sense, but now we see that they, they don't know what to do, actually. They are panicking. And of course, they will be telling all those stories. And there are, if you look at the internet, what the so-called Institute for the Study of War wrote uh, a couple of days ago, it's hilarious. I mean, those people are absolutely idiots. You know, they're talking about the winter counteroffensive. They were talking about spring counteroffensive, summer counteroffensive, now about the winter counteroffensive. How the Ukrainian army is capable of carrying out a winter counteroffensive if there would be any. Uh, that's the problem, you know, the a, a real serious staff, serious level staff of the operational uh, 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 strategic uh, formation, such as core army, let alone the whole uh, armed forces or ground forces, they do what is called calculation of the required force. So the and required force, obviously, it involves because if we talk about combined arms, or as it's uh, very uh, fashionable to talk today, uh, today using Pentagonese language, multi-domain operations, which is more, it's air, space, you know, all of it. Uh, they do and calculate, you know, they calculate, see the force, they see how you can operate with this force. And of course, you have to have, for example, so many tanks, so many this and that. Uh, they don't have this in Ukraine anymore, so they can talk whatever they uh, want to talk about, <laughs> offensive, counter-offensive, whatever they call it primarily by the morons from the American and Western media, uh, corporate media. But the reality is the only thing they have in Ukraine now is the cannon fodder. And the quality of this cannon for a drop precipitously due to basically, as I already mentioned, uh, third iteration of the uh, armed forces of Ukraine. And you have more and more those mercenaries fighting there, although they say now the trend now that they are, the numbers are diminishing and they are killed in industrial quantities anyway. So suddenly you have what? You have people who are what? 70 years old, you have 17 year old kids being taken from the streets you have women so yeah they the hope was that uh you know poland and you know czech republic and germany those countries which took those uh, refugees they will start returning this you know male contingent which doesn't which didn't want to fight to start with so what what they gonna do if they get their hands on that uh well they're gonna pump them with the drugs uh, basically, amphetamines and other types of strong stimulators are widespread use. It's well documented. So they're going to pump them with the drugs, give them some Kalashnikov, you know, and throw them into the meat grinder and they too will be annihilated. When it comes to these new weapons like Abrams, the question raises that who's going to operate these weapons? Is there any Ukrainian who was trained in the West for operating these weapons, these tanks, or mercenaries are taking care of this? Well, we already have the first reported, pay attention, reported. It happened before. <clears throat> they have been caught and even POW'd uh, uh, cadre officers from United States and elsewhere. But we now know, have official confirmation that Bundeswehr, 
uh, cadre uh, service people from Bundeswehr operating, for example, those uh, leopards. So uh, you might expect <clears throat> maybe some Ukrainian crews are trained, but you know, as I already stated, it doesn't matter. You no Abrams or no tank in the world can sustain Vihar. ATGM carried by KA 52. Uh, uh, now they have another, shouldn't forget uh, uh, <coughs> what is called the uh, Isdelia 305. You have, of course, Cornets. I mean, it just, and then, of course, you have Russian artillery, which increasingly uses their smart munitions, such as Krasnopol. So it's basically the, uh, the rocket propelled shell with the laser guidance. So it kills you by basically hitting you at the top of your turret. So, I mean, it doesn't matter what they bring there. The result will be, the outcome will be the same. They will be annihilated. When it comes to trainings, these trainings, we have Europeans training Ukrainian. You have Americans training Ukrainian. Does it make any difference if you go to Europe, if you go to United States, the process of training is totally different? Are they similar? Well, there are some similarities, obviously. It's NATO. Uh, these are NATOs. You know, they. I believe they have their uh, uh, very similar also CONOPS, co concept, of, uh, concept of operations. And essentially, <clears throat> uh, all those, you know, funny armies from UK, Belgium, or Germany, the Bundeswehr, in many respects, in many respects, they copy, obviously, what the American uh, experience, quote-unquote, is in the co combat training. And, of course, when you look attentively, again, at the armies of Europe, they never faced real war, I mean, like, since uh, 1945. They literally are people who have no concept, who have no experience of training anything larger than the squad or uh, platoon on how to maneuver and how to fight modern war, especially a modern war against superpower. They have zero. In fact, yes, I would say that a zero experience is even not necessarily a bad thing. They have negative experience. That's the problem. They looked at those Gulf Wars where the United States and their contingent basically beat the, you know, bejesus out of their, uh, I mean, third, fourth rate military without air defense, without really viable air force, without bad training. A large portion of this army have been illiterate. So, and then you go and fight Russia. I mean, really, it's not even serious. But this is what they thought. They thought that they are so great. And everybody started to copy opposite that experience. But the point is, this is what many people do not understand. And I spoke about it and I quoted Lieutenant General uh, Klokotov, who have been in 92 at that time, the chief of the strategy department of the military academy of the general staff of Russia, who stated that you cannot follow whatever the lessons you learned uh, 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 from the Gulf Wars because they, it was anomaly. It wasn't real war. It was primarily kind, kind of PR action beating their, well, you know, let's face it, sub, not only subpar, I mean, pathetic enemy. And so uh, then suddenly you have this situation. What, what do you bring to the table there? Vietnam, you lost Vietnam. What, what else? I mean, Afghanistan, it's, Afghanistan never was more than just high-intensity police action. 
counterinsurgency. That's what it is. It's high-intensity police, uh, po uh, police uh, uh, operations. And then now you suddenly have to operate and uh, learn how to move and how operate with hundreds upon hundreds of thousands on troops where, which are constantly subjected to the long range fires, to, to the artillery, to the, they have their completely different state of the ISR because Russians know what they do, how they do it. So, and there, there you go. And they never have been ready for that. And now we see what we see. I mean, complete humiliation of the NATO military technology. So, I mean, there you go. Shoigu yesterday said that this war going to last until 2025. It seems that they have their strategy in their mind right now. Do we know anything about the Russian strategy? What would be the next step in the mind of Russians? Now we do. Now we do. We didn't have it in 2022 because obviously it was very difficult to uh, line things up because it was all um, predicated on the political dynamics in the West. We now know political dynamic in the West and we know why Russians sit in the strategic defense. And uh, as now, since the uh, late 2022, I already started to run it. It's not about Ukraine. Ukraine is just one of the link in the chain. It is not just denazifying Ukraine. It is demilitarizing NATO and essentially following such, you know, building your military political strategy such a way that the final political objective is not Ukraine. I mean, Russia already <coughs> won Ukraine militarily and whatever is the NATO forces which have been attached to it. It is about denazifying NATO and essentially destroying NATO as the military political bloc. And this is what we're seeing now. And guess what? Part of this, very substantial part of it, is, of course, the political dynamics, political dimension of the war. Remember Clausewitz? You know, war is the continuation of the uh, politics by other means. Then uh, same goes, uh, uh, you know, uh, inversely, you know, as Mr. Dan Xiaoping said, said once, that diplomacy is the continuation of the war by other means. And then you see now what is happening in the combined West and how United States loses precipitously its uh, basically grasp of the modern uh, politics and global uh, uh, political dynamics. And then you say, ah, okay, here what it is. And that's the strategy. And to the, the 2025, Russia shouldn't be rushing. And when you look at, I will be making video today about it. When you look at Russian economy and what Russians do, uh, they have no reason to, <laughs> to be in any rush. Do you think before this war started, NATO thought that they can defeat Russia in Ukraine? Did they have any understanding <clears throat> of the capability of the Russian army, the level of ammunition, capability of the military industrial complex of Russia? Did they totally understand these aspects before going to war with Russia in Ukraine? No. Russia's study field in, uh, in the combined West is a joke. <clears throat> When you look at the new crop, especially of the operational level of officers in the United States or in NATO, and I wrote three books about it. It's a joke. I mean, it's a joke. Those people do not understand the uh, whole notion of the new uh, paradigm in the uh, operations in the, uh, in new weapon systems. They never encountered this. They don't. They don't have the experience with that. 
And that goes both for, for Pentagon and the same goes for the political top. And I am on record and you can quote me on that. This is primarily collection of the highly uncultured, highly unintelligent and badly educated people because you cannot get decent education in terms of geopolitics and in terms of the countries uh, in, in the United States or in UK or in Germany. All those Ivy League humanities departments, they do not prepare them, they do not proper teach, well, most of them anyway. And as a result, you have a brainwashed people who are into the whatever woke ideology and what have you. They, they are ideologues, they are propagandists, but they do not have solid academic understanding of the issue, not only how Russia operates. Enough to mention Mr. Ma Michael McFall, former ambassador. He, he is the still butt of the jokes. I mean, the guy was actually a certified idiot, and yet he still, uh, you know, have been, uh, uh, that's the level. That's when you go all those Harvards, Yales, Stanfords, you know, these are the type of people who are being prepared there. They have no clue. And especially you cannot uh, basically uh, demand or ask from any uh, American uh, uh, educated political scientist anything of value from about Russian military, Russian military history. They simply don't know. Many of them, they still believe that the United States defeated uh, Hitler and Wehrmacht. They do. I mean, that's. So what kind of lessons can you derive from that when you live in this delusion, totally virtual world of the made up history, basically, you know? So, and there you go. Today we have this kind of everything came to the, to the head, so to speak. And we see the whole, I mean, demolition of this virtual reality delusions of the combined West in the last 80 years. They lied to themselves and to others for so long that essentially what we have today, you can take a look, I mean, around yourself. You see this delusion manifest itself anywhere, everywhere practically. And on the military level, we finally have the answer. It seems that the Putin's attempts, Putin's effort to come out of this Ukraine conflict through negotiations, it was perceived by the United States as weakness. Russia is so weak. We're going to defeat it by this war in Ukraine and putting tremendous sanctions on Russian economy. Is there anybody right now in the Biden administration talking about these crucial points that could bring this war to an end? No, no. Political elite of the West in the last 30 years, we observed the pre precipitous degeneration of them precipitous. We are talking about people who are literally, I, I, you know what, imbeciles many of them are. And so, yes, being uncultured and most of the American political elite are uncultured people. The fact that you drive some expensive car or you can go and, you know, attend Louvre, for example, doesn't make you cultural. We're talking about cultural in a broader sense. And when you look in at the scholarship primarily, especially Anglo-Saxon, those are highly uncultured people. Hey, uh, take a look at Boris Johnson or this uh, imbecile Baerbock. This is the type of people. Uh, look at Klaus Schwab. The guy ha has no clue about anything. And this is what is called the lack of culture. It's not just the lack of any degree. It's the lack of culture on the broader sense. When you understand and you feel the world, you can relate to it. They don't. And as a the result, they 
still cannot grasp those things. I mean, they simply don't have a toolkit, not only intellectual toolkit. When you look at the Biden administration, show me at the person who has an IQ higher than the room temperature. It's very difficult. They are all clowns, basically, every, every single of them. It's unbelievable when you look at uh, Jake Sullivan, the guy who is an attorney, He's a lawyer, and he uh, became the you know national security advisor. You know what can he possibly advise when he doesn't know simple elementary things? Forget about being uh, sophisticated and understanding. Uh, <coughs> when you have people like George F. Keenan, for example, even James Baker, you know, for all his Reagan connections, he knew the balance of power. Sort of these people don't. They again. You cannot get decent education and disrespect in the Western world. They don't teach it, at least in most places. You can get here and there, but uh, Ivy League, it's just, uh, it's also basically paraded itself as the well, degree meal, basically. That's what it is. You saw this, the latest meeting between Zelensky and Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer. And Chuck Schumer was bowing Zelensky, talking about, we are supporting you. And Mitch McConnell said, we are happy that Ukrainians are getting killed just to teach Chinese not to do the same in Taiwan. And Lindsey Graham said that this is the best investment in Ukraine that we are doing. Uh, the moment the United States stops providing funds, because Ukraine cannot sustain itself, it doesn't exist as the functional state anymore. And you already heard that, uh, you know, uh, Mr. Volodin, the speaker of uh, State Duma. Now you have, obviously, Mr. Patrushev and then Mr. Medvedev uh, speaking openly. It's either going to be, you know, uh, they capitulate on our conditions or they cease to exist. Now, if you talk about the uh, uh, people like uh, Lindsey Graham, who's a genocidal maniac, actually. He is a full-fledged uh, war criminal, uh, same as his late buddy, uh, who is not with us anymore, thank God, uh, Mr. McCain. I mean, those are genocidal maniacs. And when you look at the U.S. Congress, they have been that short instance away from applauding other SS officers, like Canadian Parliament did. I mean, U.S. Congress is no different. And so uh, when you look at these people, first, again, no person in the top mil uh, uh, military political elite in the West understands what real war is. And they will not learn lessons because they have no reference point. They don't have toolkit, I mean, mental, intellectual, cultural toolkit in terms of understanding. And so uh, when Mitch McConnell or Schumer bow and, you know, uh, to Zelensky, one, they will continue to support him as much as possible because they are, are I mean, absolutely shocked that Russians told them that screw you and start fighting back. And then, of course, there are nobodies in the historical sense. The United States didn't exist when Russia already was defeating West time after time. And so <clears throat> when you have those clowns trying to pretend that they are actually, uh, you know, vaccine strategic, no, they are stupid. I mean, really, are. I mean, that's the shocking discovery which people, I've been, I just came back from Russia. Many there are in shock when they look at the uh, American military and those, you know, generals, <laughs> including those which are still serving. It's like, oh my God, this is, this cannot be serious, but it is.
how do you see this dynamic between the Biden administration and the Congress? It seems that the Congress is not willing to send $24 billion to Ukraine. Is it beneficial to U.S. to continue this war in Ukraine, in your opinion? No, first, the United States already lost and the damage to the United States is catastrophic in geopolitical terms. No, they will send funds, as I already stated, mostly in the U.S. Congress. They love them to see, you know, Russian uh, people killed, so... And they will support it. So, no, there will be no decline in funds. They will provide them funds. Again, majority in the U.S. Congress, uh, again, it's the same people as you saw in Canadian Parliament. So there's no difference whatsoever. They just got lucky that they haven't been caught that openly. Okay, these were Canadians who let the guard down. They got caught. And now, well, the United States, would, uh, the U.S. Congress would have done pretty much the same. It's just that they got lucky not to expose themselves as dramatically as, you know. But they, yeah, they will continue to talk with the Nazis and they will continue to uh, accept them in uh, Capitolium in U.S. Congress. So nothing going to change. How did you see this latest event in Canada? They were literally cheering this neo-Nazi. Oh, again, uh, as I already stated, most of them, and again, as I stated, uh, that it reflects the same on the U.S. Congress. And don't forget also that uh, Trudeau's government are darlings of the Democratic National Committee and Biden administration. So as I already stated, very many of those people are not uh, normal people. They are psychopaths and narcissists. This is the only way you can get, for example, in the U.S. Congress or Canadian uh, Parliament. And so they will continue. I mean, they, I stated, you know, they got let their guard down for a second and bang, we have this exposition. But tacitly, we know it was happening for decades. Okay. And so when uh, you just, you know, said Chuck Schumer, Mitch McConnell, Lindsey Graham, the most of them are like that. Again, Lindsey Graham is psychopath. I mean, and he is covered, by the way. And so, yeah, they would love somebody to kill Russians. And it's uh, all about uh, uh, basically hatred of Russia. It's visceral. And uh, what can I say? It's not <clears throat> how to put it. Uh, this way. Uh, they especially are desperate now because some of them, if they do not understand, at least they sense that things are not going as they plan. And again, their plans are simple. They're primitive, like, you know, one, two, three. And <clears throat> they're easily, you know, those plans are easily discovered and disclosed by op opposite side. And that's just the way the political elites in the West progressed, quote-unquote, in the last 30 years. In your opinion, how Russia sees all these political movement in the United States? Are they going to wait to see who's going to be the next president in the U.S. just to see possibilities of negotiations? Or are they going to get the job done in Ukraine and then come to negotiating table? It's already have been stated by leading political top figures in Russia, as I just mentioned, <clears throat> that either Ukraine capitulates on Russian conditions or ceases to exist as a state. There will be no freezing. Russians don't care who becomes president in the United States. So they really don't. I mean, uh, if anybody uh, has any illusions about Mr. Trump, they should remember if even to imagine that he gets there, that he appointed pretty much the uber neocon 
<clears throat> administration around himself. And he was the same warmonger, despite the fact that he was declaring uh, you know, his intentions of living in peace. So it makes no difference whatsoever. It is the fact of the American elites basically exposing themselves and what they are for what they are. And Russians, as I already stated, there have been many things like, is that it? You know, in terms of, uh, for example, U.S. military. And what can I say? I mean, there will be no freezing. There will be no negotiations <clears throat> in, uh, until this administration behaves itself as it behaves itself. But again, you have to understand more metaphysical issue. Russians don't trust the West at all. Everything what West says is a lie. And so, hence, we will see that some kind of the resolution on the conflict and forming Ukraine into something which Russia wants, or as already have been stated, uh, you know what, it, it, it will cease to exist. Just recently, Hillary Clinton said that Putin gonna intervene again in 2024, that Russia already intervened in 2016, that building up on that and saying that they're gonna do it again. Do you think in the mind of Putin and his administration, does it matter who's gonna be the next president of the United States as long as these negotiations are important for the Russians? Those negotiations are not important for Russians <clears throat> anymore. <clears throat> and um, Russia is now totally configured for the, if God forbids, even uh, United States decides to commit suicide, Russia is fully committed now to the even facing whole combined force of NATO. <clears throat> but the point is that, uh, yeah, it, it really doesn't matter. By the way, just to uh, remind you how uh, peaceful Trump was, he basically destroyed diplomatic relations between Russia and the United States. They, he basically closed every single <clears throat> consulate Russian consulate in uh, United States, starting from Seattle, San Francisco, LA, you know, and off you go. So the only thing uh, Russia has today is just basically the embassy in Washington, D.C. That was it. So, yeah, what's the point to sign anything <clears throat> with the United States or combined West when they are non-agreement capable? It has been the case, but now it's fully have been formalized in Russian uh, politics and policies towards the combined West. So there will be no kind of document signing. What's the point signing something with people whose professional qualities are based on lying, cheating, and, you know, uh, spinning things. So yeah, it's, it's just pretty much Russia, Russia finally broke off with the West. When it comes to these new allegations of Hillary Clinton in this latest interview, it comes to everybody's mind why they're hating Putin so much. Two things. The guy stopped the looting of Russia. <clears throat> and inevitably, after you stop the looting of Russia by the West, it implies what happened already, Russia returning back to the uh, state of the being superpower and basically now having the <clears throat> gun uh, keeping at the temple of the United States and combined West. And secondly, uh, if you look at the modern political elites, be them Hillary Clinton, be them Trump or be them Biden, and these are not uh, people of any virtue. Okay, let's put it this way. 
they uh, know a lot of you know demagoguery about you know great America and all that, but they understand that as humans, as as uh, politicians, they are just basically not even in the same league with Vladimir Putin or modern Russian political elite. They are just amateurs and infants, you know, petulant children, you know, with their huge narcissist complexes, and of course, many of them are psychopaths. Hillary Clinton is a classic psychopath. She's genocidal maniac. So, what do you expect? I mean, it's all clear who they are. Okay, we're not even going to the fact that of the pedophilia being rampant in their. Uh, top of the uh, uh, Western elites. And here you have the guy who is Christian, who is conservative in the classic, you know, conservative sense. Of course, they hate him. How do you see this partnership between China, Russia, Iran, Belarus, military partnership I'm talking about? Military partnership, no alliance. <clears throat> because alliances, military alliances, they impose certain obligations which might actually get you into some very unpleasant uh, developments, not in terms for yourself, but globally. We are talking about here uh, <coughs> superpowers like, <coughs> pardon me, <coughs> uh, China, Russia. <coughs> and uh, when you uh, look at this, no, it's primarily partnership. I mean, it's a close military partnership. There are many things which uh, happen in terms of exchange <coughs> between Russians and Chinese, for example. And now we have obviously Iran kind of getting on, on the same train set, so to speak. And there will be a lot of, uh, still already is a lot of uh, cooperation in this field. And uh, so it's only natural. And yeah, that's the thing which changed already the balance of power in the world. And uh, after the exposition of what the <clears throat> uh, NATO uh, combined NATO uh, hardware and operational concepts are, which are not very good to put it mildly. So, okay, more and more countries will be detaching themselves from the uh, America-centric world and they will be going their own way. Not necessarily into BRICS, but they will obviously try to communicate with the people in Moscow, in Beijing, in terms of the <clears throat> some type of the uh, economic and military guarantees or, uh, you know, uh, uh, aid. So, yeah, this this is already happening. We are like literally living this moment as it happens. So at the UN, we didn't see anybody talking about negotiations, but Russians just love of talk about negotiations. How do you see the state of diplomacy at the UN? First, uh, United Nations as it exists today, it's an utterly corrupt organization. Utterly. It's, uh, it's uh, basically uh, oozing corruption from all of its pores. The only thing of value from the United Nations is, of course, the fundamental UN charter. And this is what Russians talking about. They're not saying that UN as it exists today has to be the foundation. No, they said that UN or UN Charter should be the foundation. And everybody who is has any clue, they write pieces like UN as it exists today cannot exist anymore. It has to change. Nobody says that we shouldn't use UN. 
but it's certainly not the United Nations at is, as it exists today, as we already, I already stated. It's utterly corrupt. I mean, utterly. It's have been bought and bought over again and again by primarily combined West, United States, of course. So essentially, United Nations have to be reconstituted based on the primarily United Nations Charter, maybe with some, uh, as I understand, I'm not a diplomat, with some addition uh, maybe of the uh, uh, you know, Permanent Security Council members or something like that. But it certainly cannot exist as it exists today, as are most uh, Western-run institutions. Just to give you an example, International Olympic Committee. You know, that has to go. I mean, Olympic movement is that it's let's stop pretending. OK, the international sport is garbage. OK, so and that's pretty much goes across the whole spectrum. So we know that Putin going to participate. He he accepted the invitation of Xi to participate in this road and belt forum in China. Mm -hmm. How important is this, in your opinion, this forum? Nobody cares about G20. Out of G20, you have to subtract in immediately five countries who are absolutely, I mean, second rate geopolitically, economically. And I'm talking about, obviously, uh, France, the Western countries, France, UK, uh, Germany, you know, so and once you, uh, Italy, you know, and uh, Canada, I mean... Their economies have been completely deindustrialized, with some exception of France. So why would you go to G20 when it should be realistically when you have, well, Indonesia, whatever you say, but it's growing in leaps and bounds economically. Uh, obviously, we're looking at this monstrosity of Chinese economy, which is colossal, simply. So, of course, it's important. Uh, Russian economy is much larger. It's not just uh, by International Monetary Fund, which says it's much larger than uh, German. It's larger than German economy like two, three times. So, and you, when you look at these monsters, of course, why Eurasian monster, economic and military monsters like Russia and China care about G20 with the combined West? When indeed, the Belt and Road and BRICS and all those issues which have been formed right now are much more important than when you look even <clears throat> on the fundamental industrial indices. Again, many people do not understand. Russia produces, for just to give an example, Russia produces as much steel as the United States and two and a half times more than Germany. She produces energy four times more than Germany, you know. So, and this is just electricity. So when you look at this, it's, <clears throat> yeah, of course, the real economic power now is concentrated in the Eurasian continent. And so is military. And uh, we have to keep in mind the same, why Putin flies to China and everything. We already see this happening, that essentially it is Russian military hardware, which is already protecting to a certain degree the economic realm of this gigantic Eurasian economic market. So, and yeah, it dwarfs this G7, whatever, you know, so it's, it's not even funny anymore. How did you find the Russian strategy in this war in Ukraine, just reducing drastically the level of casualties on the part of Russians? Well, I have my friends who are people with connections let's put it this way okay so i have my friends who are in the open such like uh 
probably arguably the best uh, military uh, reporter in uh, Russia today, Marat Khairulin. I have my friends, former officers, senior officers, or very senior officers. So yeah, it's clear and it's in the open now. And again, uh, there are, uh, yes, um, uh, many people already stated this and it's on the record that uh, essentially there, uh, what you have as uh, armed forces of Ukraine, it's a broken army. It's a broken army. It's, uh, it cannot really fight. It can sit and take it, you know? So they will try to do those, what is called meat uh, assaults. They call meat assaults because they uh, they pump them with their uh, uh, drugs. They have those, what is called hedge uh, uh, um, uh, detachments, which are primarily from Nazis. So if you don't go ahead, you killed on spot. They have the decimation procedure there now. So when you look at this, yeah, they will throw the meat again, and this is the only thing they can do. And because they don't never knew how to fight proper uh, um, war. And um, again, as we already touched upon this, you don't have people in the West who understood or had any realistic assessment of what was happening. So this, some of them continues, still continue to, as I already stated, uh, the latest uh, production of uh, so-called Institute for the Study of War, it's laughable, it's preposterous, okay? And yet those people pretend that they know how wars are fought.